0: What's happening? This is Israel. On this episode, we're going to go back approximately 18 years to a classic interview that I conducted with one of hip-hop's greatest talents, the amazing KRS-One. Even though this interview was done quite some time ago, in many ways, it is as refreshing today as it was back then. Uh, to listen to all the jewels that Kara has dropped throughout our discussion. So definitely for any fan of hip-hop music, I think you're going to enjoy this discussion. As a matter of fact, if you're a fan of music, if you're a fan of culture, uh, I think that there are plenty of jewels for you to pick up in this interview. Before we get to the interview, I want to Give a shout out to everybody out there that has subscribed, that has taken time to leave reviews and comments. I do want to ask a favor if you are a listener of Insomniac Magazine's podcast. uh, If you support Insomniac Magazine, we've been doing this thing for over 20 years. Take some time and leave a comment in the... Apple Podcasts app, also known, I guess, as iTunes or anywhere that you happen to be consuming this. Uh, From my understanding, it helps with traction. So I do want to thank you in advance for taking your time to do that. At the same time, if uh, you don't follow us on Instagram, if you don't follow us on Twitter, definitely do so because there's always Information about all kinds of new music and hip hop and more. The handle for both is Insom Mag since, since 96. Insom, I N S O M M A G, since S I N C E 96. Insom Mag since 96. So without further ado, I present a classic interview with the amazing K R S 1. Check it out. Hello, my name is Israel. I've been involved in hip-hop since the 1980s as an artist, producer, radio show host, journalist, documentarian, magazine editor, hip-hop advocate, and pundit. Over the years, I've interviewed hundreds of interesting people in music, media, and more. Welcome to Sounds from the Underground, the podcast from Insomniac Magazine, where we learn from both those who reside below the surface and those who've breached it. Let's talk for a minute about, about what you do. What do you feel it is about krs One that you've been able to preserve yourself and not tarnish your image the way so many artists have either been able to fall by the wayside or have kind of like reinvented themselves into something that they really aren't?
1: There's a few secrets that I have. Um, I, I'll... Um, I'll give a few secrets if you keep prying, maybe we'll get get to a few more but they're secrets because some music not me some artists you want to fall to the wayside not everyone should enjoy the secrets to be able to have a long career of bullshit uh so let me just say this um I'll, I'll just give you some of the standards from the very beginning, even from them days at B-Boy records. Um, I always had a science to what I was doing. Uh, even though I guess at B-Boy records, my science was elementary. I still approached the game as the teacher, as, you know, taking it to a level of, of mentality, as opposed to, we just going to get up here and rock them um, The reason I mention that is because the science of it. Most people go get into rap music, and really, I guess you can say this about anything, but most people get into rap music just to make money. And there's nothing wrong with that. But when you talk about longevity, then your objective can't be just to make money. You have to have a plan. You got to have a strategy. You got to have a science to what you do. Rule number one, who are you? And what, do, what does you do? And notice how I said, what does you do? What does the you do? I came in. I said, I'm the teacher. Now, what that means? I got to pick up a book. I got to read. While this on the corner drinking and smoking and having a good time. I got to be inside, you know, reading Insomniac magazines and keeping it up. On the real, and that's the truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, even to this very day, um, you, you, you have to have a science and a strategy to what you do. That's number one. Mm-hmm. Most people get in, the, in in rap music; they have no strategy. Matter of fact, they got in probably because of a man or somebody might have saw them. But how many people really sit down and create themselves, uh, create their name? Say the name is going to look like this. It's going to sound like this. And you don't have a dime in your pocket. You don't know where your career is going to go. But you can see yourself in the future. This brings me to my second point. Stop me on plan and science. Who are you and what does the you do? But here's the second point. Can you see yourself in the future? When I was homeless... In, I still am homeless. I'm in <laughs> <laughs> a hotel. Uh, when I wasn't paying rent, uh, I, I still saw myself in the future. Uh, I still saw myself rocking parties. Also, I got to give you a little bit about my history. When I was 10 years old, I told my mother I was going to be a prophet and a and a philosopher and had a, all kind of names, you know, Everything. Uh, the mystic, the sage, the prophet, the philosopher, the everything on that side, and a rap artist. She said, "Fine, go to school." I said, "My school's lying. I don't care about it. Go to school." And this is 1975. Rap was only on the street. There were no records. Nobody even thought about putting it on records. Just you know, you may you hear music blasting, and you used to follow the, the bass in the street. You used to just like walk outside. You used to hear. Some music playing. You, you know, they was they were throwing a jam because that was before it was called hip hop. It was called a jam. Just go to the jam, and we used to go. We used to hear it, then you go down to the jam. Well, five years, four years later, I guess seventy nine, when Fatback Band, King Tim the Third came out, uh, that's when I knew. I was like, yo, this is me. And I was 14 by then, and I had written rhymes, I had a little crew in Flatbush, Brooklyn, and all of that. And I left home to pursue this rap career because I saw myself in the future from about 10 years old. So you couldn't tell me, I, 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 there was nothing else for me. It was the philosopher on one side, so I'd read up everything I can on metaphysics, philosophy, yoga, religion, this kind of stuff. And then I'd be writing rhymes. That was my life. Here's the third point. I had to give up everything to be here. Um, You know, you see KRS-One on stage. You may see a record. You may be watching this interview right now. You say, wow, KRS, 15 years in the business. Uh, I had to give up a lot. Uh, You know this realm is a very lonely place. And I say that very truthfully. It's a very lonely place. You know, you have a few loyal people. DJ, breakers that you saw on stage, my wife, Simone. That's it. Now, when I'm in Brooklyn, of course I can snap my finger and a hundred crews come together. Yo, Chris, let's get them. They're not my friends. You know, they'll shoot a person for me. They'll, they'll rob somebody for me. You know, I mean, if I really wanted it, right. say, yo, I got beef with this guy right here. Right. I don't know what place I can't go mm-hmm. without somebody saying, yo, I'll take care of it. Right. But if you're smart, you know you can't live that life. Mm-hmm. This was the lesson that Scott LaRock taught us, taught a lot of us. You can't live like you're invincible. Let me just stop here. Three had to give up everything. Uh, I took a risk in this giving up of everything. I dropped out of school in the ninth grade. I got left back twice in the eighth grade. By the time I actually got to the ninth grade, I dropped out. Most people would say that's a disaster. It's a disaster, especially in the early 80s like that. The high school diploma still meant something. I left. Nothing was more important than writing rhymes. Nothing. My mother, she wasn't important. Brother, Kenny, not important. Nothing. My education, job, nothing. I lived in the street, I slept on the sidewalk. The only thing that was important was writing rhymes. Sick. So I can only arrive here. There was no other place. This is it. It's not that I was so dope that, although I do think I (laughs) am. Slow that down. Not not that I survived for so long. It's more like I did nothing else but this. Which brings me to my fourth point. My self-worth was never equated with what other people said I was worth. I always determined my self-worth. I remember having a conversation with Leo Cohen from Def Jam. I don't even know if he remembers this conversation. He may. You may when to get the other half of the interview, you know, cut between me and him. But I was riding a bike, and it was in the village. This is about 88, about 88, maybe 89. Even. Uh, I'm riding a bike in the village of New York. And uh, I like bike riding. To this day, I like riding bikes. But I had two albums. I guess it was Criminal Minded by All Means Necessary. I was a star. I Riding a bike through the city, yeah? You got two albums. and So Leo Cohen pulls up in a BMW, the, the new 740s back then. And he pulls up, you know, alongside. And so he starts talking to me about how I should sign with Def Jam. Not even sign, but like, somehow I should be affiliated with Def Jam because they're doing um, arenas and they could get me more money. And I appreciated Leo's conversation on that because he was, for any other artist, they would have been like, yo, you know, I would show, you know, what is it, Friday? I'll be at your office Monday, you know? And so, but for me, again, go back to see yourself in the future. And now back at this present point, I, my self-worth wasn't determined by money. It was never... I, You know, I like making money. Uh, I love economics. I like studying capitalism. Uh, I think, you know, we were very successful. We made a lot of money over these 15 years. But that was never the point. The point was skill mastery. What new thing can I say? What new way can I rock a party? What... Where haven't we rocked? Uh, What's the new way to present hip-hop? And in that, we collect money, we get a little fame, you do Arsenio Hall, you make a little record. But if you make these things your goal, you never achieve them. If if a gold record is your goal, you'll never get it. But if a platinum record is your goal, you may get the gold record. If the Grammy Awards is your goal, you may just get a platinum out. If the president pinning you artists of the year and a plaque in the White House, you may just get a Grammy. By learning this science, partially from a saying in the Bible uh, from Jesus or Jesus at that point, right? Or he's us, uh, which says, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and all things will be added unto you. That seems like some advertisement for God or some heaven as a resort somewhere. But when you really dig into it, what it says is seek God as the highest ideal in your life. And all these other little things will come. If you set a goal that that is almost impossible to attain, you get all these other little things along the way. That's what a lot of people don't realize. They say the car is my goal. So they forever ride bikes. They're forever on the train. But if if just well for me, it was my the mastery of my skill was my goal. And in the mastering of the skill, I started making money. In the mastering of the skill, I got a little respect. The car dealer wants to give me a car. In the mastery of my skill, I didn't have to walk around with the gap no more. I could just walk all in the mastery of my skill so rewinding the tape a little bit uh, my self worth was never equated with what I could get my self worth was how good is my how, how good is my skill uh, that's why I started off battling as a battle MC because again it was my skill I, I got to prove myself to myself That I can do this. Not to the person here. Not even to the crowd. I got to show me. That I can handle four MCs at once. Because I'm KRS one. What does that mean? I got to. So in the midst of me trying to impress myself. I made nine albums. Had I been trying to impress the crowd. I might have only made two. I was supposed to be finished in 1990. That's when edutainment went gold. And the following 1991, I skipped the year, 92, Sex and Violence came out, sold like 200,000 copies. According to the industry standards, that's a failure. From gold to 200,000 records. For me, it was a blessing. Because I was... was, you know, I always have to say, I'll rock for you and you right now. i rock for two people or 20,000 people. If you and you both gave me $20 right now, $40, I'll rock the whole show. I'll do this whole show again. <laughs> right now. We'll do the whole show again. So, you know, and so for me, 200,000, I'm like, wow, 50,000 people really dig what I'm kicking out here. 200,000 bought it. A hundred half of them people really went out and bought my record. Wow. I don't care if it was, you know, 50,000 people. I'd say that 20,000 people that really bought it because they liked it. That's who I want to talk to. That's who I want to go with. I want to be with them. Why try to get a million? Why dream about a million dollars when you're holding a hundred dollars? Well, why dream about, uh platinum when you sold 10,000 albums? Let, let's stop it. Let's just relish in that for a minute. You tell an artist today, 10,000 albums, be like, ah, oh, man, his album didn't do nothing. Are you bugging? 10,000 people is an army. That's an army. That's a regiment. It's being sent somewhere to make some changes in life. My self-worth was never equated with what was there to get. It was the skill mastery. It was how good am I as, a, as an MC? So and I, now I have to stop because after this point, well, I'll give you an example. Here's a secret. This is one secret. Most people cannot repeat the actions of their own success. Meaning when you had nothing, you walked, you rode the train, bus. You were a little humbler. You had a certain eat style and schedule. You didn't eat all times of the day. You ate when you could. You didn't eat everything. You ate what you can afford. You wore certain clothes. You wore what you had, you know, when you had nothing. Now that have nothing mentality and that have nothing reality is what created your success. But now that you're successful, you can't do that no more. So you lose the success. You can't repeat the actions of your success. You can't walk no more, because every two steps you make, you gotta sign an autograph. You can't get on the train no more, it gets too hectic if your video's on MTV you can't get on a train, but it was riding the train that inspired you to write your hit record it was the bologna and cheese sandwich not the steak and the fish and the chicken it it, it was this bag of potato chips with the coke soda that had you writing the (laughs) illest but now that the coke soda and the bag of potato chips got you here, and now you eating the, the red snapper and the rice and bean and You can sit down to to salmon and all that. Now you lose the ingredients that made you who you are. So the lesson here is never forget where you came from. This is the most important lesson ever. Never forget where you came from. You don't have to go back there. You don't have to see the people you once knew so that you can stay real. It's just. Don't forget, don't forget the days you was homeless. Don't forget the days you was hungry. When you had to hop the train and run from the cops. Don't just don't forget it. Because as long as it's in your head, you're right from that perspective. As long as you remember it and don't say, I was back in the days, I ain't with that no more. The minute you say that you're finished. But the second you say, yeah man, I had a long struggle. I came from back there. I'm still back there. I ain't where i supposed to be, but I'm here now. So let me keep the struggle. Never forget where you came from. Are you currently signed to Jive at all? No. Okay. Uh, uh My wife liberated me okay. from uh, Jive Records. Uh, we're with Front Page Records now. Okay. From Koch. Okay. Koch Distribution. And um, pretty good situation. Right. Uh it's freedom. Mm-hmm. Um technically I don't have a recording contract. Right. Um, you know, I sign like a promissory note mm-hmm. to do the album. Uh, but I'm not an artist per se that gets a royalty and stuff. Um, my wife owns the company. You know, we split ten twenty-five wholesale mm-hmm. the record with God's mm-hmm. records. Right. Split it down the middle. Mm-hmm. And uh it's a much better lucrative deal now mm-hmm. um on jive I was making about a dollar a record I got up to about a dollar twenty a record I thought I was doing pretty good mm-hmm. um then I got over to Koch records and I'm able to make five dollars mm-hmm. uh per record mm-hmm. this was also part of a um a strategy uh because I realized also that the conscious rap artist has a a little harder than everyone else, <laughs> I guess that's obvious. Uh, but we're not selling gold and platinum uh, records. Maybe gold, maybe some of us. Um, but but not platinum. Very few conscious rap artists that are saying something are going platinum and double platinum. So you're not going to get the, the hype video and then the money to put it on TV. So your, your marketing is a little, uh, always underground, always less than the one who's willing to put a million dollars on the screen. So the money we make off each record has to, it, it, our worth has to be, uh, there has to be more. We can't make a dollar per record the same as somebody who is going to go platinum. Somebody who's going to go platinum and make a million dollars and have to recoup 500,000 of it. Will you still make 500,000 dollars? But somebody like myself, if I make a mil, if I make a dollar a record, but only sell two hundred thousand albums, but gotta recoup three hundred thousand uh, dollars, well, I'm still in debt. I didn't even get anything. So this formula is to make more money per record for the conscious rap artist. The conscious rap artist has to open his own record company or her own record company or their own record company. Uh, has to. There's no other way for the conscious rap artist unless, of course, these record companies wake up and and take on community responsibility and say, to balance our roster, we're gonna have two conscious rappers uh, or group on our roster uh, to balance out the roster for just for the sake of artist development, our wreck our record company development, community service, all of that. Now, if they wake up to that, so be it. I don't see that happening anytime soon. Um, that was one of the things that came out of the Russell Simmons uh hip hop summit uh meeting in, in New York was that A&Rs should be looking for more conscious rap, not just the hoe or the pimp on the corner. That was one of the things, one of the decisions that were made there. Let's see if we follow up. Uh but the conscious rap artist has to make more money per record sold uh to survive. Um the people. Although I love them dearly, the people, um, you can't depend on them. Uh, They're trapped, especially the people I talk to. I talk to the plantation. I I don't talk to the mansion or to, uh, you know, government or, uh, you know, like the people that buy my records are mostly attorneys. Mm-hmm. You know, or the people that buy KRS-One as well, now, they may be now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a lot of attorneys that had criminal minded and all of that. But for today's economics, I'm not speaking to a, a community of people that are professionals and this, that, and the other. Some make it. The the majority of my audience is on a plantation, mm-hmm. you know, it, 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 and it has no race to it. It's just... Working people in the inner city, they're going to school, they're working, they're entrepreneurs, you know, they, they're doing their thing, and they pick up KRS-One, either they heard and have been keeping up on the message from the beginning, or they they, they know this is conscious, and they've come into a consciousness, so they pick it up. Uh, they may have heard it. Their friend was blasting it in the car. They was like, what's that? That's KRS. And they may have copped the copy for themselves. But it's all the plantation. So the people I'm talking to, they are trying to get free. Everybody ain't trying to get free, but I'm talking to those who are trying to get free. And so when I when I always say my, my album, the, the the point of all my albums is to raise your self worth. That's the whole point. You supposed to listen to the album. At the end of the album, you supposed to your your self worth is supposed to be more than what it was when you first before you got the album. You're supposed to listen to the Sneak Attack. And by the time you get to the Raptism, the last song on, on, on the album, you're supposed to have re-evaluated certain things. You're supposed to be able to look at yourself and say, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm this, I'm not that. Or, yeah, I can do that, I don't have to do that. Or, uh, it's not so bad, uh, I did make the right move. I'm not an idiot. I'm I, I did do what I was supposed to do. Right, here's confirmation. Raises your self-worth. Makes you feel like you're worth more. So, economically, I, think, I doubt if I'll ever really sign another recording contract. Uh, uh, unless, of course, some record company comes out the box with the ultimate deal that I cannot refuse. Mm-hmm. I'm not going backwards. Right. So, of course, the deal starts at five hours an album. So... If any record company wants to play that game would be Ida so be it, but I, the record company structure can't even play that game. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's just not in the structure. How so many hands touch that record? Right. That's right. It can't it's just not happening. Mm-hmm. Um with Koch distribution, we have an opportunity to have a direct relationship with the distributor. Mm-hmm. Uh and, and that's just a beautiful thing. You know, it's just me and the distributor. Mm-hmm. And so there's not much marketing uh you know my album i'm not on tv every day you know we did a video uh to hot it was a pretty good video but ain't nobody playing a new video maybe some underground stations and play it but mm-hmm. they're not playing it but we knew they wouldn't play it that's why we only spent like 100 grand on mm-hmm. it and i say only 100 grand is a lot of money but it's easy to recoup that mm-hmm. uh quickly that's 10,000 albums mm-hmm. Uh, 100 grand so boom okay 10,000 dollars we you know we're gonna do that mm-hmm. so let's spend $100,000 and do the hot video and get that out there but so $100,000 is not 1 million mm-hmm. it's not 2 millions with Hype Williams it's not you know that so you know we have to go with things like for instance we just um, put out a Lux commercial uh, for Get Yourself Up um, you may see it eventually uh, but um, we did do things like alternative marketing where uh, like Lugs, for instance, like I was about to mention, they, um, they had the idea actually to use one of my songs, the song Get Yourself Up, uh, as the, the beat to it for their commercial. And I thought that was excellent. I said, well, you know, we you know went through the dealings and this, that, and the other. But we turned it more toward marketing of KRS-One. I'm not going to be on television, but... Uh, if lugs will pay for advertising in certain areas playing my record as a commercial, it's this, we, we get the same effect. Um, and that's a good thing. Uh, shows like television shows, I'm not going to be interviewed on on MTV. I'm not going to be interviewed. Well, BET gave me a little, like, I can't front on BET. They did try to look out. Even though they are still trapped themselves, they at least tried to look out a little bit. I did get some rep- some support the first three weeks the album was out camp front but i'm not going to get that serious interview on bet uh i'm not going to get that serious in-depth artist look uh on a bet NT, on none of the outlets so i take it over to politically incorrect uh i take it over to the learning channel uh discovery channel uh you know uh these type of shows we want to come on and uh make ourselves available to those shows who will take us free. We talk to even a larger audience uh, than MTV or BET. I can't perform. I can't, you know, do my rhymes, but I can talk about them. I can talk about uh, what I'm doing. I can, you know, within the context of the conversation that's being had, I can discuss. Uh, And that's why the Sneak Attack album is. And and that's why the live performances and, that, that kind of thing so um, I'm in a much better situation now uh, with, 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 with Koch Records um, I'm getting ready to I'm preparing to do my 10th album which is a great thing it's called uh, Chris Style <laughs> of course spelled K-R-I-S-T uh, Y-L-E and this album is ruthless and hard as usual I'm gonna turn up the volume a little bit. Sneak Attack was a table setter. Just like, hey, this is something you ain't used to hearing. Check this out. But now I'm gonna turn the volume up. You know, I thought Sneak Attack, for me personally, uh, that's one of my best albums uh, because there's no collaborations on it. I produced almost all of it. The critics hate it. There's no, we don't like the beats. Hey, there's no producers. There's no this, that, and the other. I love it. I love it. I, I you know, I like when people critique it. You know, like when I put out I Got Next, why you got Buffy? Ah, oh, this album is whack. The source said it was whack. The whole album was boring to the source. 700,000 copies later, I get the last laugh. Because, again, my self-worth is not in that. I'm more worried about my skill mastery and then the people. The people will tell you when you whack. Believe they will tell you when you whack. Or you did something they don't like. At least they'll tell me. I'll put it that way. A few times in my career, people have told me what they didn't like. And I pay very close attention to that. Uh, believe that. Actually, it's because of the people that a lot of other rappers didn't get beat down already. Uh, Because it was after the PM Dawn incident that my audience said that that was not becoming of me. Too many people said, I like that, Chris. That was whack. It was contradictory. I'd be a fool to be posturing now. Say, oh no, you don't know. No, you do know. <laughs> Actually, I may not agree, but you know what you' talking about. So let me let me focus in on that and say, okay, let me let me chill. You know, my Nike commercial, mm-hmm. people, This. Chris, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Remix with Puffy, Chris. They didn't like that. What are mm-hmm. you doing? Mm-hmm. You know, they'll tell you, mm-hmm. but then they'll tell you. <laughs> When you hit it on the nail, they'd be like, yo, this is it. This is what we stay here, Chris. Don't give up the conscience. Yo, I hit this all day. Every day is on and on and on. So, again, I know to myself that the work is good. The people say it's good. Who cares what the radio thinks? Who cares what TV thinks? This is the secret to longevity as well. <clears throat> you know, if you can't, if you ain't satisfied with selling 20,000 albums, get out the game. Get out the game. If you have to sell 200, 300,000 albums to feel like you did something, you in the wrong business, especially rap, especially rap. Now, maybe jazz is different. Maybe rock is different. Maybe gospel's different. Maybe blues is different, classical different. Maybe. But when it comes to rap music, you got to be satisfied with 20,000, 10,000, a cool 10,000 records sold at $10 a record is hundred thousand dollars simple for someone who makes that money. I don't see nothing wrong with it personally. If 50,000 albums gives me a half a million dollars. Why am I bucking? Like, well, I just don't understand. People, you know, they're so caught up in, in something else as opposed to the real business of it. The, the real business, $10 is $10. People need to be able to sell. If you can sell your album to one person, if you know, if you have that skill, then you can sell it to a thousand people. And that's the skill that a lot of MCs don't have. And that's where good management comes in, because not everybody's a salesman. You to have somebody there that says, "Yo, we are gonna take this and run up the block with it." Now, for me, I was all wrapped up in one salesman, manager, as all the producer. I was all wrapped up in one, so I can speak from this perspective. But the real, the the real success is to be satisfied with ten thousand albums sold. 10,000, get that 100 grand. And then do your next album proudly. Somebody asks you, how much records you sold? I sold 10,000. You can say that to Buster and He'll look at you like, wow. Because he knows his 10,000 is not the same as your 10,000. This is no video, no recoupment, no nothing, no publishers, Now You get it all. Register with ASCAP, BMI, let them track your money down. Matter of fact, forget that. You're not even on the radio. Mm -hmm. You're not even on television. This is not the backseat of your car. This is what a lot of MCs got to do, DJs as well. The mixtape, the DJs took total control of that. Kid Capri. I mean, just, I watched him start at at the front of the Apollo Theater. Sitting out there in front of the Apollo with a crate. Blasting his tape that he made from some party the other the night before. Sitting out there. $10 a tape. $10 a tape. His name got hot. He raised it to $20 a tape. Name got hot. He got a gig here. Caught a gig there. Worked for free here. Free there. Now he's the Kid Cymru. <laughs> and everybody's looking at him like he was born like that. Mm-hmm. When we was in the shelter... Me and Just Ice and ICU and a whole bunch of other people. Jerry, Levi, <laughs> 167. Uh, we was all in the shelter. We used to have this joke. We used to say, you're not playing your part in the movie. Or we used to sit around and say, yeah, when they do a movie about us, I'm going to be sitting right here doing this. Or I'm going to say this and that. And we used to always talk about the future. We never recognized where we was. He was in a shelter, an armory with 740 beds, but we already was somewhere else. We was living a whole nother mentality. You couldn't tell us we weren't MC. See, that's the thing also about waiting for somebody to validate you, tell you, oh, you are MC now because you signed the contract Oh, you put a record out. So you're a real rapper now. Not back then the minute you wrote your rhyme, you was an MC, simply and plain. And for me, it, 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 then it was, yes, that vision down the line. But in particular with Scott, it was, I guess, my beliefs uh, about death. Uh, you know, I always believed that death is a better place. Um, all my study points to the fact that life only gets better. Um, you know, And one day, you know, I'm going to see this theory through. Uh, But I'm fascinated by one fact. And that fact is that when I stop talking, I can still speak. I mean, we all can. Like I don't have to move my mouth to speak. So then, why do I have to move my hands to touch to feel? I can feel like this. I could, you know, I don't have to move my body in any way to have existence. So, when the body's gone, what happens to that that thing that you know? When I'm talking in my head. Where is that? Like, where is that? You know, where is it? Is it in my head? Is it out here? Where is it? It doesn't, you know, and so when Scott passed, it was, I was actually, I mean, I was, um, it wasn't sad. It was, um, it's like when someone gets married. That's the feeling I had. Like when your best friend gets married and you and him was at the strip club together. Y'all was chilling, and you knew this was your man. And then one day he says, yo, I'm getting married, man. This is my last time at the strip club. It's not like you're sad, but you ain't happy. And it's like, ooh. It's this weird thing. And and with Scott, it's so funny because the life we was living, we knew one of us was going to die first one of us. It's the reason we took D-Nice. The main purpose we brought D-Nice in and gave him his name and trained him was because if something happened to Scott, he would take over or if something happened to me, he would take over. He'd become an MC for Scott if something happened to me and he'd become a DJ for me if something happened to Scott. Now of course something happened to Scott and everyone fronted. I'll leave it at that. However, uh, my vision of of what what life is, what reality is, what spirituality is, um, I'm a firm believer in in the reality of consciousness over the body. So for me, I think part of my success was the fact that my group, so to speak, Boogie Down Productions. What a privilege to have a DJ that's in spirit and an MC that's physical. That's what I was thinking about. That Scott is somewhere around here. You know, chillin'